So in April of this year, the CDC released a disturbing report on the mental health of American young people. Some 44% of high school students reported persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, up from 29% in 2009. Percentages were significantly higher than this for LGBTQ and female students at 76% and 57% respectively. It's a mental health crisis. And while the isolation and anxiety that came with COVID exacerbated these feelings, COVID wasn't solely to blame. The percentage of students that have experienced these persistent feelings has climbed year after year for the past two decades. It's been a long running trend. There have been many things for young people to be anxious about. Finances, cost of education for after high school keeps rising, which often requires taking out tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars in education loans. The crazy jump in housing in the housing market means that greater numbers of young people are priced out. Indeed, many are resorting to living with their parents. Or even worse, there's an increasing homelessness problem in this city too. lost my train of thought. <laughs> that will happen. So that doesn't even touch on geopolitical issues. Young people are worried about climate change and nuclear security. News and social media increase the negativity bias. They don't make people any happier. They, they cause young people to see themselves and their world in an exceedingly negative light because that's what grabs our attention, bad news. Trust in institutions like the government, police, and the church is at pretty much an old-time low. So, and why shouldn't they feel this way? Our institutions have failed young people who are on track to do worse than their parents' generation. The old wisdom, as long as you work hard and believe in yourself, you'll be rewarded and achieve the American dream, simply doesn't hold true for a large portion of the population anymore. Even those of us who are older now and may have benefited from that wisdom in the past, which I did, and I use the term older loosely, they seem to be so unhappy these days. We have so much, and yet we seem to be so miserable and cynical. So what do we do when the old wisdom doesn't hold water anymore? What does it mean to live well, to live the good life when things are crumbling? The book of Proverbs might be an unlikely book for exploring this topic because Proverbs sometimes gets a bad rap among pastors and theologians for being too simplistic, offering the same kind of received wisdom as what's proffered today. If you do well and you keep your nose clean, you'll be rewarded. If you're lazy and you're evil and, and make bad choices, you'll be punished. But there's more depth to this book than that, much more. Proverbs is the wisdom of generations of sages who meditated on the Torah, God's teaching through Moses, exemplified in the Ten Commandments. And these sages acknowledged, even when everything was crumbling around them, as it did, that God was God. God was God who acted with justice and mercy in divine freedom. The foremost question for them was this. In an age 
where we don't see water flowing from the rock, where we don't see a path made in the sea. How do we live well? How do we live in right relationship with God and with our neighbors? Proverbs is essentially a catechism. It's a teaching guide for the young on nurturing those kinds of relationships. Not just for the young, too. There's that verse, to the wise, continue to receive wisdom in chapter 1. On living well, on being wise, and developing that wisdom through character development. We might call it growing in holiness at the Spirit's direction. That's the key to living well. So where does wisdom start? Where does that gift of discernment start? In the fear of Yahweh, the God who created, redeemed, and sustains the world, including one's own self. Verse 1-7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God encompasses a lot of things. It can mean the quaking terror at Sinai, brought about by hearing God give the commandments directly. It can be great awe and respect of God, as in Psalm 8, when the psalmist writes, What are human beings that you are mindful of them? It can also be the acknowledgement of God as the one with ultimate power and freedom to do whatever God wants to do, whatever God wills. Jesus acknowledges this. Perhaps the sage who compiled these Proverbs has all these things in mind. God is the one who creates the world and humanity with it, and God is the one with ultimate power to take it back. In short, God has ultimate power and freedom to act in whatever way is pleasing to God. That might sound a bit terrifying, but God is not capricious. Acknowledging God as God. Someone didn't like the sermon. Acknowledging God as God means that we can trust God. God is more trustworthy than we are to provide us with everything we need. Acknowledging God as God is the first step to living the genuine good life. And this good life is not dependent on the material things that we may have or not have, but on the character we develop in Christ. Or put another way, the character that the Spirit develops within us, which begins in baptism. This isn't to say that material things aren't important. Indeed, as Luther points out in his explanation to the Lord's Prayer, daily bread includes everything necessary for this life. It simply means that the essence of the good life isn't in what we might own. The essence of the good life is the shalom, the wholeness, the well-being, or as our reading in Proverbs translated today, the welfare found in Jesus Christ. Such a life of shalom finds its root in Christ and his teaching. Just as the sage in Proverbs 3 wrote that keeping his teaching would lead to shalom, Jesus reminds us today that hearing his words and doing them, acting upon them, living them, is akin to a man digging down to the bedrock to build his house. Such a house withstands the storms when they inevitably come, and they do come. We're in them right now. In this stormy season of life, 
we cling to Christ, our rock. Proverbs 3, 5 sums it up for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight. We're honest with ourselves. We'll realize we tell ourselves lies all the time, dressed up as insight. Lies about the world, lies about our neighbors, lies about ourselves, even lies about God. And as with the news, these lies, so believable to us, often have a hugely negative bias. The Proverbs reminds us to trust God above all things, that God is far more trustworthy than we are. To take the first commandment seriously by remembering that God is God, not our thoughts. And when we trust what God in Christ through the Spirit says about us, our neighbors and our world, that creation was and is worth saving, worth redeeming, worth transforming, we'll be on the road to wisdom, on the way to the good life in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, when the storms of life threaten to destroy our faith, remind us that your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your ways are not our ways. Remind us that you are God, we are not, and so we can trust you above anything and anyone else. Guide us on the path to shalom, to well-being in your Son, Jesus Christ.